The 10-Minute Writers' Workshop is supported by Heinemann, a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision-makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. The 10-Minute Writers' Workshop is produced at New Hampshire Public Radio, and lucky you, you've reached us during our fund drive. We're asking for your support. If you like the podcast, please consider helping us pay for it by visiting our website, nhprfundrive.org. That's fund drive with two Ds. And let them know we sent you. I say that. Okay, this is the 10-Minute Writers' Workshop with Stephen Breyer. That's me. Oh, yes! Oh, yes! I'm Virginia Prescott. Legal decisions are rarely read for pleasure, and though read and reread and excerpted and quoted, they are not always quotable. Clocking in at an average of just under 5,000 words, they can sound jargony and pompous and bone dry in the wrong hands. Today's 10-Minute Writers' Workshop asks an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States what goes into writing an opinion. Justice Stephen Breyer was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1994. He is an exuberant advocate for participatory democracy, an animated explainer of the reasoning behind decisions, and author of several books. I spoke with Justice Breyer in the Green Room at the Music Hall in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, just before interviewing him on stage about his most recent, The Court in the World, American Law in the New Global Realities for Writers on a New England Stage. I began by asking him which audience he has in mind when writing an opinion. Is it other justices or lawyers and legal scholars or armchair analysts? It depends on the opinion. If I'm writing uh, something about the ERISA pension statute, which is probably many hundreds of pages of almost unintelligible uh, language, I'm writing for specialists. I have to be clear. I have to write and I want to avoid uh, technicalities. Uh, but I want any judge and any lawyer, uh, but particularly those who are knowledgeable, to understand it. Uh, if I'm writing uh, uh, in a dissent in a case involving uh, whether affirmative action uh, is constitutional or not, I know that that's going to be read either first or second hand. Uh, the press will read it, uh, they'll write about it, and many people will read it who are not lawyers. And I want them to understand why I would reach the conclusion that I do. I mean, that's what a judge can do. In your book, you write about dissents, dissenting opinions having the ability to change the conversation, to create a, a sort of level of reasonableness. So when you're writing that dissent, are you pouring all that passion? Are you trying to change a mind? Now, you said two separate things, because uh, John Wisdom, who was a great judge and helped desegregate the South on the famous Fifth Circuit that did that, great judge. He told me, when you're feeling really strongly about a matter, write a passionate opinion. Say what you think of the other side and how terrible they are. And once you get that out of you, tear it up and throw it in the wastebasket and sit down and write something that explains why you reached the decision you did. Now, some judges, like some writers, are brilliant with phrases. Cardoza, the call, the call of distress, the cry of distress is the call to rescue. Yeah, that lives, but I can't do that. But virtually anyone can do what I try to do, which is to write clearly. That means succinctly. It means, for a judge, very often follow Cicero. Cicero has, says, first, an it's like a sonata, an introduction, followed by a theme. 
you give your basic reasons, followed by some development, followed by response to the other side, and then a conclusion where you tend to reiterate your basic point. Now, that's rhetoric, but go read Brown versus Board of Education. You will see in that famous opinion by Chief Justice Warren that he does not use much rhetoric. The single sentence there is that the Constitution, which forbids equal protection of the law, that's what it says, and then he says, segregated schools. The very fact of segregation, the very fact, is inherently unequal. Something like that, you see. A single sentence. Not a long opinion. The power of the opinion is in its result and how it explains why it reaches that result. Do you think ever about narrative? I mean, now Supreme Court justice opinions, which probably were mostly written by scholars or law students, now people read SCOTUS blog. You have the armchair analyst watch, reading these opinions. It's much more for the common people. Do you think about creating narrative or story at all in the, your opinions? Someone told me once, explain what your reason is to your daughter in high school. And uh, if she can understand you, uh, you've got a good opinion. And that's, I think, what people try to do. How about for a dissent that you feel very strongly about? Ever a temptation to write it as if you're backing off and saying, no, I really don't have much to do with this? Uh, well, it's obvious you don't have much to do with it if you're writing a dissent, because you disagree with what the majority says. And probably the, the I felt pretty strongly about a case where four people, and maybe a fifth, uh, were saying that affirmative action in high schools is contrary to the Constitution. I did not think it was contrary to the Constitution. So I, I wrote an opinion, but it doesn't use very dramatic language. It does uh, try to be absolutely clear and to make clear to the reader why I think they're so wrong. You can do that without getting too emotional, at least not in the writing. When I'm really annoyed about an opinion, I, I don't know if I should admit this, but what I do if I think I'm right, and of course if I didn't think I was right, why would I be writing it? <laughs> but uh, I'll try to write it in a way that I tend to think, I, I parody it as follows. A child of two would read this <laughs> and think, what is the majority doing? <laughs> now that's the object of a dissent. <laughs> How about your editing process? I mean, I can't imagine who edits a Supreme Court justice. Do you show these to anybody before you release them? Certainly. We have four, each have four law clerks who are very bright, young lawyers. They've done well in law school. They've clerked for another judge first. They're wonderful. And, and, and what they'll do is they, I will, usually they'll produce a long memo or something, and I'll go read that, and I'll go back to the, the briefs, and I'll sit down at the word processor, and I'll write. And then I give it back to my law clerk. She thinks, oh, my God, hers was better. <laughs> so then she'll edit it. Then I'll go back and write another one. And then this process goes on and back and forth till we're satisfied. But I told my son, what is my job? When he was in uh, uh, high school, I told him, I read and I write. I said, you see, if you do your homework well, you will get a job where you can do homework the whole rest of your life. <laughs> Some great reward. Is there an opinion that you think every American should read? I would, like some, I would like people who are interested in our government, I would like them to read John Marshall. I mean, he writes beautifully. Marbury versus Madison, that's sort of the er opinion, you know, it's the beginning opinion. 
and read it. It's very interesting when you read it. Now, the judges should have the power to overturn a law of Congress that's contrary to the Constitution. That's a great opinion. The negative, the opposite, which is well worth study, the worst, <laughs> read Dred Scott. <laughs> read Dred Scott, and what's interesting, was interesting to me, because I, I wrote a chapter about it, unfortunately, it, was, uh, it said a, a black person is not a, is not a person, basically, for purposes of lawsuit. It was terrible. But Curtis, Benjamin Curtis, wrote a dissent. You see, this isn't looking back with future eyes, saying we're applying today's standards to that time. Benjamin Curtis, who was the dissenter, applied that time's standards to that time and really showed how wrong it was. Abraham Lincoln, reading Benjamin Curtis, whose opinion was put into pamphlet form and circulated across the country, Lincoln said, this is a shocker. Lincoln used the dissent as the basis for his speech at Cooper Union. That speech helped to catapult Lincoln to the head of the Republican Party, helped get him the nomination, and helped assure really a civil war and, and uh, uh, ultimately freedom uh, from slavery. Well, that was uh, pretty effective, that dissent. I mean, it wasn't the only thing, of course. But uh, if Roger Tenney, the, writing the majority, thought he was going to help prevent the Civil War, actually it helped create it. What's on your bedside table? What are you reading? At this moment, I hate, oh, this is just coincidence. But uh, I said we have had a reading group for years, and uh, my wife said we all should read the Federalist Papers. <laughs> so there we are. I'm actually, but I'm going to read a book that someone just gave me, too, because I have several novels, a novel called uh, My Brilliant Friend by an Italian. A lot of people I know have read that and I said mean, it's a good uh, novel. Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. That's next on the list. Justice Stephen Breyer, author of many books, including Active Liberty, The Court in the World, and several dissenting and majority opinions for the Supreme Court. We spoke with him just a few days before the court reconvened on the first Monday in October. To clarify, the Cardozo he mentioned as a great writer was the former Justice Benjamin Cardozo. Oliver Wendell Holmes and Robert Jackson were also notable for the clarity and spiritedness of their language, as was the late Justice Antonin Scalia, who spiced things up with slang, notably using gobbledygook and pure applesauce in his opinions. The 10-Minute Writers' Workshop is a production of NHPR, produced by Sarah Plourd with additional jurisprudence from Maureen McMurray. You can hear tips from the likes of Tom Parada, Stacey Schiff, Richard Russo, and dozens of others when you subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And pretty please, leave us a review, which helps us make better decisions. And thank you.